Welcome to the Ultimate Dentist Podcast. Join us to hear success stories of various individuals and learn clinical and life hacks to help you become the ultimate dentist. Hi everyone, I hope you are all doing great and you have been enjoying this uh, podcast uh, series. Uh, if you are enjoying my podcast, please um, make sure that you follow and subscribe the podcast. That's the only way I know how many people are really listening to my podcast. Yes, I get some download statistics, but um, it's not really enough for me to know how many individuals are following. So please, if you are Dude, if you like my podcast, then please don't forget to follow and subscribe. Plus, uh, if you can ask uh, and advise your colleagues to uh, listen to my podcast to see if they benefit from the my podcast. The, the main aim is to even if I help one dentist, and yes, it's a cliche, but even if I can help one dentist in improving their dentistry, my job is done. So going to this podcast theme today, I would like to discuss about what do you need to prepare before you start doing indirect restoration. So in, the, in order to do an indirect restoration, what would be my protocol to do any indirect restoration? So first of all, before you decide whether the tooth needs a direct or indirect restoration, you're going to do clinical assessment. Uh, when you do clinical assessment, the you're going to assess the restorative status of the tooth because tooth might not be restorative, uh, you know, might not be possible to save it. Uh, you need to assess the endodontic status of the tooth. Um, you need to assess the periodontal status and you need to see whether the, what is the alignment of the tooth. So by doing indirect restoration, are you going to change the alignment of the tooth or are you going to keep the tooth in the same alignment? So yes, restorative status, we can assess by looking at it or ideally by removing the old restoration and really assessing how much tooth tissue is left. Yes, remember that when you build the core, core does not ideally count as a, um, a factor where you are considering whether the tooth is restorable or not. However, nowadays with the really good adhesive technologies, you can, yes, consider core as maybe a part of your preparation, but you still need to have a good healthy tooth tissue unless you're doing post and core crown. Again, um, at some point, I would like to discuss about post and core because I don't do that many post and core now. Nowadays, with the adhesive techniques, you can really avoid doing post and core crowns or intentionally post in the teeth. Then um, you need to assess the periodontal status to so make sure that you do six point pocket charting for that one particular tooth which you are doing for indirect restoration to make sure that you're not missing any periodontal issues any crack line especially if the tooth is heavily restored you may have a crack line and you may have bone loss around that crack line suggesting the crack is spreading or going much more deeper and if you have that j-shaped pocket or where you're doing six-point pocketing and only in one area is really deep then you know that the the crack is spreading quite deep further deep and of course, as we discussed, you need to assess about the alignment and you need to have a discussion with patient whether you would the, the patient would like to correct the alignment or not. However, the indirect restoration should not be done just to correct the alignment. Uh, you know, the tooth may be heavily restored or some other reason you may be doing the indirect restoration. Then you need to take a periapical radiograph. 
Now, any indirect restoration I do, I always take a periapical radiograph just to make sure that there is no periapical lesion on that tooth. I also match that periapical radiograph if the tooth is vital with a vitality test to make sure that I check the vitality, make sure the tooth is vital and uh, make sure the extra does not show any periapical lesion. Now, if I have a, I'm doing indirect restoration, um, which is root canal treated, and this is very controversial where if I see, let's say, the, the tooth has been root canal treated and the endodontic status is short, then I would recommend patient to redo, to have the, re -root, the root canal treatment. And patient might come and say, you know what, the tooth is not painful. It's been there for years. Um, for that, I would answer to patient that every time I'm going to, uh, right now the tooth is stable. We're not, we, nothing's been done to the tooth. Now we're going to remove the old restoration. We're going to do new restoration. We're going to really change the environment of the tooth. And there is a chance that the, the root canal can flare up. And if it does, then you if if the if you need to go through the crown, uh, then you may need a new crown, or the crown can get damaged, and I will not be responsible for that. Um, if patient understands that, plus you need to let the patient know that in a worst case scenario, you might have to have the tooth taken out, depending on the status of the endodontic uh, endodont uh, endodontic status. And if the patient's happy with that, then it will be yours and patient's clinic uh, decision to make whether you would like to do the crown on that tooth or not. Generally, if uh, there is a really poor endodontic status, but there is no periapical lesion and a patient's not in pain, then I may do some sort of a semi-permanent crown um, just to secure the tooth because I still don't feel uh, charging patient the prices I do for a, a proper final crown. But again, it will be your decision to make. But do make sure that you understand that when you remove that core old restoration, you will be changing the environment of the tooth. Uh, and, you know, you may start having issues with the tooth. Once that's done, you are then going to take, I then take a photo, photographs uh, to assess patient's smile line, um, which you would have done in clinical assessment. But then I would assess the patient's smile line to make sure that the 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 crown I am doing or veneer or a non lay um, is within the smile line or uh, above or below the smile line. So um, if let's say if I'm doing an a non lay, then I need to know where would be my cutoff point between the junction between the on lay and the tooth, and is it going to affect, especially when they are those teeth with a huge amalgam where the amalgam has discolored the tooth if you do half only and half leave the half tooth then the junction can be visible because the tooth can be really dark so you need to really assess that before you are going to prepare your tooth prepare the tooth basically for patient so make sure you assess the smile line if it's a if it's a low lip line then you can keep the veneer or crown margin even supra gingival or just like almost equigingival. If it's a really high lip line, then you may want to put a 0.5 millimeter subgingival margin for crowns and veneers. Now for veneers, um, I would only put the margin up to where I can retract the gum basically. So it could be subgingival, but as far as I can retract the gum, um, I would, I, I'm happy with it. But if, if I can't retract the gum, then I will not put the margin below the gum. Then you need to assess the shade. And this is really 
uh, important discussion with patient. You don't want to do indirect restoration and then patient wants to have a whitening done later on. So this is the good time for you to discuss, even if you're doing, let's say, teeth whitening, if you're doing a crown for six, which may not be in the smile line, still you need to discuss with patient because you don't know whether what, what patient's thinking. So you can't make a decision on patient's behalf. You need to discuss with patient that I'm doing this in direct restoration. If you are going to change color of your teeth by doing whitening in future, then this is the best time to do it because then we can match the color of the newly whitened teeth to the color of the crown. And this is something many times people do not discuss and you know you can get away with it but you may get a patient one or two who may say oh you didn't discuss with us um so it's a good time to discuss with patient and also white teeth um i like white teeth so you know white teeth are sign of healthy teeth so when you look at the yellow teeth although they, the structure they might be sound versus white teeth white teeth are more appealing pleasing uh, and healthy looking and this has been shown in the study so Make sure that you discuss about the two teeth whitening with patient and record that in your notes whether the patient want to do tooth whitening or not. Uh, it's entirely up to patient, but make sure you had a discussion done. Now, in some cases, you would have diagnostic wax up done. Let's say, especially veneers, if you're doing veneers um, to change smile if you change the changing the shape of the of the tooth then you need to have a diagnostic wax up done now my rule is anytime i'm sh changing shape of the original tooth i would have a diagnostic wax up for the anterior teeth for the molars if i'm doing crown let's say it's a broken down restoration if i'm doing a crown no you don't need to do a wax up for that but for especially for anterior uh, teeth where you want to make a nice provisional and get the aesthetic consent from patient you need to have a diagnostic wax up done. Then you need to select what kind of material you're going to choose because material will dictate what kind of indirect restoration preparation you're going to do. So before you prepare for the tooth, you need to decide whether you're going to use uh, Emacs, maybe a crown or onlay. Are you going to do zirconia crown? Are you going to do felspathic veneer? Um, or are you going to do a composite onlay or a hybrid onlay? So you need to really decide what type of material you're going to choose before you're going to start prepping the tooth. And some of the material selection, uh, let's say between Zirconia crown versus Emacs crown, could be dictated uh, because um, of the bonding surface, if you can bond or you cannot bond. If you can't bond to the tooth very well because there's a lot of dentine exposure, then it may be worth uh, going for zirconia. Aesthetic where it doesn't matter going worth for zirconia or where you want to do minimal preparation. Again, uh, you can use zirconia because you can get away with the thinner margin with zirconia. Although now people are using lithium disilicate such as Emax crowns uh, with a very thinner margin, but still zirconia, you can thin it down more than um, lithium disilicates. Um, so make sure that you select the material because your tooth reduction will depend on the selection of the material. It's it's I see this a lot there. You know, dentists will prepare the tooth and then send it to technician and then let the technician decide what you really want to do in Emacs or lithium disilicate or or a zirconia. But it's really you should be dictating that. And again, once the material selection is done, the design of the preparation will also 
follow because of the material. So let's say if, you, if you're doing a gold um, three-quarter crown, you're going to have really nice sharp angles, really nice, uh, um, very well-defined margins and everything, um, corners, where if you're going to do zirconia, you want all the margins to be very well-rounded. You don't want any sharp angles. Um, so you need to really make sure that, again, material selection will dictate the type of design you're going to use for a particular index restoration. Once that design's done, you need to then consider, once you prepare, you need to consider whether you're going to do immediate dentin sealing or not. And this is a really a big part of my dentistry. Um, adhesive or not, I end up doing immediate dentin sealing for every single tooth. Um, even if I'm going to bond it to GI, using GIC, uh, zirconia, because it does protect the tooth um, and um, it dentine and, uh, you know, that trauma you're causing by exposing newly fresh dentine, it just seals the dentine really well. So I would uh, consider doing immediate dentine sealing. If you haven't, if you don't know what it is, then I have covered that in previous podcasts. So just scroll down and, and look for it. But um, you need to decide whether you're going to do that or not. And then you're going to decide what type of temporary you're going to choose. Are you going to have a lab-made shell temporary done or you're going to have a wax up and indices done and use a temporary or you're going to just make it uh, on the chair side what material of the temporary you're going to use are you going to use sort of luxatem bisacryl temporary material or are you going to use composite as a temporary crown material or veneer material only material or you're going to use a sort of a you can get a clip or telio or tfm which is basically a temporary composite material or you're going to use that. Uh, if you are going to use crown or temporary material for crown, what cement, temporary cement are you going to use? Because if you're planning to bond to the tooth, um, ideally you don't want to use tambon um, because the eugenol and the tambon reacts with the, with, the, with the tooth. So, you know, you may decide to use some other um, material, um, polycarboxylate cement or some sort of a, maybe tambon without non-eugenol non tambon. So th those type of material, you need to decide what material you're going to select. And once patient comes back, uh, once you once you're prepared, uh, the, the taken the impression, you need to also decide: Are you going to take a digital impression of the tooth, or you're going to take an analog impression? Again, that depends on the isolation, the whether you can really isolate the tooth, how good impression you can take, um, and what type of margin you're going for. Now, digital impression is definitely much quicker and easier if you can maintain and make sure the margins are really good visible. Um, but nowadays, it's 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 very good to get marginal fit with the with the digital um, impressions. Then you're going to select um, what type of cementation protocol you're going to use. Are you going to um, cement the crown using any cement? like zinc phosphate if it's a gold or gic if it's a zirconia or you're going to bond the crown or only or veneer using what are you going to use heated composite are you going to use dual cure composite um, are you going to use self-care composite what type of bonding material you're going to use my um, choice generally is heated composite unless i'm doing felspathic veneers um, or or any crown really, um, because um, veneers, felspathic, if you apply pressure, you will break it, break them. 
And uh, with regards to crowns, uh, it's difficult because there is no escapement. So most of the time, onlays or lithium disilicate veneers, I use heated composite for zirconia crowns, this GIC. Rest of them, uh, you could use, I use Panavia or um, another cement um, people have suggested Relyx uh, being a good one as well. I haven't used it. I generally use Panavia. So, so this is the whole protocol. And then I tend to see patient again in a few weeks time for a review generally because I want to take photos um, as well. So at the same time, I'll take a nice post of photos because on the day with the rubber dam or with the retraction, it, the gums are not great. So you would see patient for review and you should see patient for review before you discharge patient uh, for uh, after afterwards. Now, if you're doing simple dentistry, single tooth, then and if you choose not to do review, that's fine. Now, there's another thing you could do after bonding or cementation is take an x-ray. Uh, it's a very common to do that in America. In UK, we don't do that uh, because of the radiation exposure. Again, uh, it will be up to you. So let's say if I'm doing deep margin elevation, I do take x-ray because I want to make sure my margins are sealed. I don't take x-rays for every single crown cementation um, because once you have assessed properly, then you shouldn't have an issue with with the with the bonding or the cementation and again you need to really assess the tooth and do it on a case by case basis so i hope you enjoyed this short uh, podcast on how to prepare for indirect restoration what things you need to really understand and take into consideration when you're doing indirect restoration so i hope you enjoyed it and i will see you in the next episode mm-hmm.